Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. We'll be turning to 1 Samuel chapter 24. For the past several weeks, we've been looking a little bit at the life of David, amen, and applying some things to our life. We have been calling this the school of hard knocks, amen. We're going to continue with this this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 24, going to be reading verses 4 and 5 today, amen. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not, you have the convenience of modern technology on the screen this morning. 1 Samuel 24 in verse 4, the Bible says, And the men of David saith unto him, Behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. Amen. Continuing with our school of hard knocks today. Hallelujah. Let's ask God to help us in the next few moments. Father, I come before you this morning asking, O oh God, for your help and your aid, Lord Jesus, in this Bible class today. Pray, O oh Lord, today, touch, anoint, Lord Jesus, my lips, God, the minds, Lord, of your people, that we can pull, Lord, some learning and understanding, Father God, from your word. God will not fail, Lord Jesus, to thank you. And perhaps someone could be helped, Lord Jesus, through your word this morning. If we'll just open up our lives, God, with a bang in God to the precepts of this word God they may find God where we are Lord Jesus and help us and strengthen us Lord Jesus by the word of God today God we love and appreciate you in Jesus name that I pray amen and amen of the church say amen. amen amen you may be seated this morning shake your neighbor's hand as you're seated tell them how glad it is how glad you are to be sitting by them this morning and all those other niceties Amen, that we do for one another. Hallelujah. Have, have, have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered, we, we live in a world that is very fast-paced, and as a result of it, some people spend more meals away from home than they do at home, and uh, they call it fast food, although there's sometimes I go to certain places and I wonder if that is true. But nevertheless, have you, have you ever wondered why the, and we don't have this in our city. You got to drive 11 miles, or maybe there's a closer one. But you had in order to go to Wendy's. You ever anybody ever been to Wendy's? Yeah, yeah. Getting that time of year, you might like to go by and grab their chili, or you like to have frosties and fries from Wendy's, and and so on and so forth. You ever wondered why the Wendy's has square hamburger patties rather than round ones? I mean, really, they're kind of peculiar in the fact that you know they're they're not they're not round, but but they're square. Uh, these square patties that they have uh, on these buns that you go and get. And from my understanding, one of the big reasons why that they have square patties is because the founder, uh, Dave Thomas, was always very confident in the quality of their hamburger meat, and he did not want it to be hid by a round bun, so he showcased it 
by those patties having corners so it could be seen, extended beyond the bun so everyone could see and notice the quality of his hamburger meat. But that's just one reason. Another reason why Wendy's has square hamburger patties. I know you was just woke up this morning wondering why they had them. And, and so the reason why they have square hamburger patties, and the primary reason is because Dave, the founder, took a piece of advice that his grandmother Minnie oftentimes told him and incorporated it in a very literal sense in his restaurant and his hamburgers. And she always told him as a little boy and as he grew up, now, Dave, do not cut corners. And so he took that literal statement with him whenever he started his restaurant. And so the patties that you get are just a testimony to that advice that his grandmother had given him that should never, never cut corners. And so all these years now, uh, he has had these square hamburger patties unlike uh, any other hamburger place. So it would seem just reminding him and others that we should not do that. And so when you think about it, you know, the, the, his success then has been a story of no shortcuts. His success has been a story of cutting no corners, including the ones that's on his hamburger patties, for crying out loud, you know. Cutting no corners. And so he's relied on that pure, untampered, what he would call, he tried to live his business and his life by a, a, a stamp of character and integrity. That's a good old word right there. That's a good old word, integrity. Amen, that may we be suffering that we're a little anemic in today. Amen, integrity. Amen, as a matter of fact, character and integrity is not just a good, good, good idea for society. I believe it's a God idea. Good character and integrity is important to God. Whenever you read in like First and Second Timothy and you read the book of Titus, and it's in these books that there are the list of qualifications or criteria that's given for one that's to be a bishop or one that's to be a deacon and their wives. You'll read through there and you start reading these different traits and qualifications for being uh, a deacon or a bishop within a church setting or their wives. And, and in Titus and Timothy, whenever you read down through there, most of those items in those lists have to do with one's character. Whenever it gives all the different criteria for a bishop, most of those things have to do with the man's character. Most of the things have to do with, with a, a deacon's uh, uh, integrity, if you will, more so than what their skill is, more so than what their ability is, because God primarily having a person in leadership like that wanted them to be a person of integrity, a person of character, talent and skill. That's great and that's wonderful, but that by no means supersedes the character of the man or the integrity of the man. You can have a very talented person, but they can have no integrity. They might be tremendously skilled, but they lack greatly character. And whenever you lack in integrity or character, that overshadows everything else. Although it might be great skill and talent, that overshadows every other area of your life when you're lacking integrity. And so the, the, the mindset is this, that if God, if God zeroes in on that aspect of people, bishops and deacons, people of leadership roles in the church, then anything else below that must have, must have similar expectations. If he expected that of a deacon and that of a, uh, uh, a bishop, then I believe, you know how they say, everything kind of trinkles downhill. Amen. He would have a certain expectation of all those people from there down. And I think the Bible bears that out in Acts 6 that we'll get to on Wednesday night eventually. But in Acts 6... 
uh, one of the qualifiers, one of the first qualifiers, whenever the ministry, the disciples had been serving tables for the Grecians and the daily ministration had been going on, and they were so busy doing that that it kind of stole time from them for uh, the reading of the word and prayer. They had to seek out somebody else to take care of serving the tables so they could devote their time to what they were called to devote their time was, which was ministry ministry of the word and and the word of God and prayer and so whenever they went to seek out people to serve these tables to make sure the Grecians and the Jews daily were ministered to with what they had need of the first qualifier in act six that was in the list seems to tell us that it was that they should be of an honest report That's the first qualifier. Before it said that they should be full of the Holy Ghost or any of these other things, the first thing that is mentioned is this person. And listen to me, folks. This is serving tables. The the first qualification for serving tables is that they be of an honest report, or in other words, they would be a person of character. They'd be of a person of integrity. And so God covers the spectrum from the place of a bishop or a deacon to the role of one that serves tables, that what's important to him is uh, mostly that they would be people of character and that they would be people of integrity. And so that's what God is looking at. God says that's paramount to everything else in their life. Amen. Is that they would be people of integrity. David, in our scripture setting today of 1 Samuel 24, David was in a position that he's in a cave where he could have taken advantage of a situation very, very easily. As a matter of fact, his army was with him in that cave. And the eyes of those that were with him, they saw this moment. Here is Saul. He's entered the same cave that David and his men are in, although Saul doesn't know that David and his men are in there. And uh, we'll probably very quickly just hit on this. Saul was in the cave, all right? And he went in there, the Bible says, and he covered his feet. That's biblical terminology that Saul was using the restroom. All right? The Bible says that Saul was in there and he covered his feet. That means he was in the cave using the restroom. That's what, Okay, someone's just got revelation today. Now when you read that, that brings a whole other picture. We have a person in a very vulnerable position. Amen? We have somebody in a very vulnerable position who has been seeking after David's life. Right? Who's had armies after him trying to take his life, had already thrown javelins and spears at him. And now the one who is your enemy is in the cave where you are, but he doesn't know that you're in there. And he is using the restroom. Now that's a very vulnerable position. David then could have taken advantage of this situation. As a matter of fact, with the other army men that are with him, that are alongside him, they're thinking, David, This is the moment God has delivered your enemy (laughs) at all times. He's delivered your enemy into your hands right here. I mean, you've literally caught the guy with his pants down. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? He said, you've caught this person here right where he needs to be because his men are interpreting this moment as this is what God said he would do, because if you look back at our scripture setting there of 1 Samuel 24 and verse number 4, they're all recalling, if you look, David's men here are all recalling that God said that there would be a day, behold, I will deliver thine enemy unto thy hand. But look at the second part, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. 
And so all these men with David are saying, this is that moment, David. God is delivering Saul into your hand, and so you need to take advantage of this and take his life. Amen. Kill Saul and take care of him. But the second part of that phrase is what's lingering in the backside of David's mind. Yeah, he's presented in a way that perhaps I could take his life, but the Lord said that I must do as it shall seem good to me. As it shall seem good to me. Not how, how you think it is good or how you think this has all come about or what I should do, but I got to do how it would seem good to me. And in David's estimation, he seen Saul. Saul was still king. Saul was still the authority. Saul was still what would be known as God's anointed in his life. And David even says later, he said, I, I could not put my hand against the Lord's anointed. I couldn't put my hand against the king, here's a moment that I could have taken advantage of a situation, killed the one who has been attempting to kill me, but I can't do this because this is the Lord's anointed. I got to do what should seem good unto me. Now think about, you say, well, no big deal. Wrong. Think about how hard this would have been because while David is sitting in this cave, he has already had the horn of an oil poured on his head at his daddy's house to be the next king. David's already been anointed at this time frame. He is the next successor to the throne. The only thing that stands in the way of him being king is the present king. So if the present king wasn't there, who would be king? David. So how tempting would it be to have this man that's done you wrong anyway in a vulnerable position, you already got the anointing of the throne upon you. How tempting it would be just to remove him out of the picture and assume that rightful place that God has anointed you for. But that is not the way that David did it. Because he knew if he had done that, if he went on and took Saul's life, if he did it, this is the important part, if he did it and in the process of doing it, he sacrificed his own character. Huh? If he struck the anointed and sacrificed his own character in order to produce a vacancy on the throne, David says, I cannot do that. And I think we got to look sometimes introspectively ourselves whenever we make choices and decisions and we got to consider character and integrity in our lives. It might look like, man, that this is the man, the planets is just lined up for this to take place. Everything's exactly where it needs to be for all of this to happen. But if making that choice or making that decision or doing that action sacrifices your integrity, how glorious would it be then to sit on the throne knowing you got there by taking the life of the one that was there before you? I mean, have you ever done something and in retrospect you thought about the process or the motive behind doing it and you thought, you know what, this doesn't feel as good as what I thought it would feel because in the process of doing it, you sacrifice some of your own personal character. And this, if David were to have done that, he kind of would go against totally why God chose him in the first place. Because the Bible says that God had chosen David because he had proven to be a man after God's own heart. God chose me because he thought I was a man that was kind of had the heart like he had. Yet if I raise a sword against Saul, 
vulnerable in the, in the cave, am I still going to be maintaining that heart that is after God? As a matter of fact, whenever Saul had done wrong and, and, and Samuel had told him, you know what, Saul, the kingdom is going to be stripped from you. The words of Samuel to Saul was this. And he said, Saul, he said, a better than you is the one that's going to take the kingdom. Now, how much better would David have been than Saul if David had made a choice there in that cave to act outside of integrity and outside of character? How, I mean, how would compromising his integrity make him better than the man he was trying to supersede? Now, remember, Saul, the reason why Saul is in the process of losing the throne is because of his lack of integrity. Mm -hmm. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 13, just for a reference, that the Bible says that Saul went to Gilgal and he was supposed to wait for Samuel to get there. And when Samuel got there, he would offer up burnt offerings unto the Lord and then they would be able to go on with their meeting there. But Saul is waiting and he's waiting and he's getting impatient and Samuel hasn't arrived yet. And, and he sees, the Bible says, he starts to see the people scatter from him, the Bible says. They're starting to scatter from him and go away. And he thinks, you know, well, I got to rein these people in and I got to get them back around me, you know. And so in the process of thinking that, in haste, he broke he broke a very ethical principle, a moral principle, because he stepped into the role of a priest, so to speak, and offered up the burnt offerings that Samuel was supposed to offer up. Amen. But he did something that was outside the scope of his office. He was just simply a king and not a priest. And Samuel even told him, he said, Saul, when he found all this out, he said, you have done foolishly, foolishly. Said you, you, you're not a man of character because you didn't uphold the ethical and the moral principle here of this being my job and not your job. You overstepped the bounds. You, you, you lacked, you, you, you failed in an integrity issue. You have done foolishly. The word integrity comes from the same root as the word integer, which in mathematics is a whole number or a complete Entity, And that is one reason why that integrity also carries the meaning of one, meaning this, that an individual is the same on the inside as they are on the outside. Or they're the same in private as they are in public. Or they have a consistent, a oneness, a wholeness of character. It doesn't change. It's not dynamic. It's not one thing on Sunday and another thing on Monday. There's a consistency in, in the character or in the integrity. So many people sometimes fixate their minds on what God is doing for them. Have you ever looked at that? Just seen what God was doing, what God was doing for you. And at times even look at where God was taking you in your spiritual walk with the Lord. And maybe sometimes even wondering when God was going to do it and get it done, you know. Not just the what, not just the where, but when, the timing. God, when are you going to get all this done? But in the process sometimes of looking at what God is doing and where he is taking you and when he's all going to get it done, sometimes we forget the most important concern is this, who God is making you to be. Always ready for the what, always ready for the where. And I don't want to know the timing, but in the process of it all, what is God 
Who is he making you to become? Who is he making you to become? Because the fact of the matter is this, that God won't get you where he wants you to go until you become who he wants you to be. Be a tragedy for you to arrive at the place but then not have the character or the integrity that you needed in order to function in this new destiny. God says, I'm going to take you to a place, but I'm going to make sure the person is prepared for the place, that you'll become what you need to be. And so when we read in Scripture, after David's victory, after David's victory over Goliath, Saul took David home with him. Saul's king. David goes forth. Man, he, he fights the battle against Goliath. Saul sees how David fares, how he does, how he's victorious when no one else could be victorious. And so he's thinking, you know what? This would be a pretty good guy to have in the kingdom, you know. He took down Goliath. All the other armies couched down, hiding, you know, biting their fingernails, shaking. This would be a good guy to have in the kingdom. So after the victory over Goliath, Saul takes David home with him. And the Bible tells us that whenever this was done, that David just basically did whatever Saul wanted him to do. Whatever Saul asked of him, he was just the best of servants, you might say. The best of servants. Saul, what do you want me to do? Okay, I'll go do it. Just was just, just, just so giving of himself to Saul. And the Bible says, as a result of it that we see David starting to be promoted. Saul would promote him over, uh, you know, an army of hundreds. And, and the Bible says that David found favor in the eyes of the people because of his character, because of his integrity. The Bible says this, 1 Samuel 18 and verse 5, look concerning the character and the integrity of David. 1 Samuel 18 and verse 5, the Bible says, and David went out whithersoever Saul sent him so he did he did went whatever Saul desired here look at these next this next phrase and behaved himself wisely and Saul set him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants so David handled himself behaved himself in a wise manner and that gave him promotion in the kingdom of Saul now Something started to happen, though. Man, David found so much favor in the eyes of the people that he came home from one battle, and all the ladies are singing, David had slain his ten thousands, and Saul, who was king at the time, his thousands. That hurt the ego of the king. Hurt the ego of the king. As a matter of fact, the Bible says whenever the king heard this, that from that day forward, he had an eye on David, an eye of disdain toward David after the people ascribed to David having slain ten thousands and only Saul thousands. But look how David continues to react to all of this in verse number 14 of 1 Samuel 18. The Bible says, and David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. God likes hanging around people of character. God likes being the wind and the sails of people of integrity. Amen. He says in verse 15, Wherefore, when Saul saw, I love whenever that happens in Scripture, Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, 
he was afraid of him. Look at that. Saul was afraid of David when he seen that he was maintaining his integrity and his character in the eyes of the people and in everything that he done. You, knew, you know what Saul knew? You know what Saul understood in that moment? Saul knew the advantage that character plays in the role of a person. Yeah. He knew the advantage that character played in the role of a person. Amen. Because upon his first anointing, Upon his first anointing, whenever Saul was anointed by Samuel to be king, first of all, he had been considered by Samuel and the people, the Bible calls him this, calls him a goodly, a goodly person. As a matter of fact, it says that there were, and this is not, this is bad English, okay, but it's Bible, amen. It says that none goodlier, none goodlier than him existed in all of Israel. In other words, when Saul first got this job, he was a man of integrity. He was a man of character. And so Saul, knowing that and understanding that, he sees David likewise has some character and integrity. And that plays a very important role in the success, the path, the destiny of the person. Someone say amen. Coach John Wooden said this before. Some of these may sound familiar. He said, be more concerned with your character than your reputation. Because your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. He's also known for that statement that says, the true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching. Here's the thing. David did indeed cut off a portion of the hem or the skirt of Saul's garment in the cave. But honestly, I don't know if David would have cut off that portion of Saul's robe in the cave had he not an audience of his army there in the cave with him that had persuasive words in the background, if you can just imagine, take him out, David. Just do it. Kill him. Slaughter him. Cut his head. If you don't, I'll be happy to help and do it myself. He's been chasing us from mountaintop to valley to cave to stream. And now here's our opportunity. So I don't know if David would have even went as far as he did had it not been for the voices of the others that were in the cave with him. Amen. I don't know. Listen to me. I don't know if David in his mind is thinking, you know, everybody calls me the one that's slain the ten thousands. I got this warrior reputation. Huh? I got this warrior reputation. And so maybe the warrior side of David was just trying to keep living up to the reputation. Huh? To the reputation that he had as a fighter, a conqueror, not going to take anything from anybody type of. Ask yourself this question, how many times have you acted just because you were saving face for what other people thought about you, your reputation? So here's Saul in the cave covering his feet. Isn't that awesome? Maybe we need to teach our kids that. Maybe that'd be really proper in the restaurants, you know. Dad, I need to go cover my feet. Okay, son. <laughs> Maybe we just need to get biblical about it again. So Saul's in the cave. He's covering his feet. He's at anybody's mercy. 
And, of course, David's buddies want David to assume the throne, right? They're all for David getting the throne. Why? Because they're buddies with him. And there might be a position in the throne then that. So did it really come down to, Sister Candy, that they wanted David to kill Saul because David should because of what's happened in his life? Or did they want it for their own reason and purpose? Oh, the voices that speak into our life sometimes. You better check whether or not their motives are always pure. It might not be about your success. It might be about their own. But, 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 but you know, there, there might be an important position there. But David's, David's integrity, his in character, pushes to the forefront. Trying to maybe save face for being the reputation as the warrior. And so he cuts off just a portion of Saul's robe. But the Bible says after he had done this, it's not like there's much space of time that elapsed. That after he had done this, you look in our scripture reading, that David's heart smote him. I'm going on, you know, maybe I'm the warrior and I got to stay up to my reputation. He's relieving himself. I'm just going to cut this piece off. But no sooner he starts backing back into the cave, his heart smites him like I should have done that. I should not have done that. What is that? That's David's character speaking up. That's David's integrity speaking up. And you know, that's the awesome thing about character. That's the awesome thing about integrity. It won't remain silent in your life. It won't remain silent in your life. As a matter of fact, your character and integrity, if it's what it should be and needs to be, it'll call your hand on something whenever it doesn't agree. Amen. Amen. But... David had all the voices of his peers, right? The reputation he had before them. That gets you in a bunch of trouble. They'll have you go against the very thing you know that is right and honorable and true. Because partly because of the people, the Bible says, partly because of the people in the New Testament, Herod had John the Baptist's head brought in on a charger, not just because of Herodias' dance, but the Bible says also because of the people. That were there at his birthday party. He did it because of them as well. And yet the scripture says Herod himself was exceeding sorry about what he was doing. He was sorry about what he was doing, but he was willing to do it because of what everybody else was saying. There's character on trial. It's going against what he really thought about doing. But he says, I hear in all these voices, I got a, let's say, I got a reputation to live up to. Well, do you want to live up to a reputation in the eyes of all the people? Or do you want to live up to a character in the eye of God? Not only that, the voices of the crowd leading up to a crucified Lord, the voices of the crowd overpowered Pilate's better judgment. He plainly said, I find no fault in this man. But because of the voices of the crowd, it overpowered his better judgment. And he releases Jesus into the hands uh, of people that he knew was going to crucify him. And so here is a little rub again. So, so had David listened to what was presently popular, so to speak, Saul would have been a dead man while his feet was covered. <laughs> but we ask ourselves, but at what expense? If David had done that, he wouldn't have been true to himself. He wouldn't have been true to behaving himself wisely or his character or his integrity. Or what he believed was morally right in the eyes of God. He would have been none of that. 
And here, folks, here in, in, in one instance is why we need, one of the reasons we need daily devotion and teaching and or preaching in our lives is because God's word gives us an accurate, unbiased picture of who we really are. The Bible says, James chapter number 1, in verse number 22 this morning, James 1 and verse number 22, the Bible states these words, be ye, be ye, but be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any, for if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, or mirror, if you will. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. He said the word of God is like a mirror for our lives. When we read the word, when we hear the word, when we look into the word, it gives us a reflection back of who we are. But if you just look into it, it might show you who you are, but if then you don't act upon what you see, and do anything about it, you'll remain as you are. But the word of God is a very accurate, unbiased picture. It gives us a very accurate and unbiased picture of who we really are. And so that's one reason why we need devotion. One reason why we need to read the word, hear the teaching, the preaching of the word. Because every time we do that, it's like Pastor McGee is up there and he's going around and he comes to Pat and he's like throwing the mirror up at him. That's who you are. That's who you are. Word says that's who you are. And so it's an unbiased opinion. Because for the most part, we live our lives with other mirrors beside the word. Like walking into the circus and going into the room with some of those crazy mirrors. Uh huh. That pronounce certain areas of your body and diminish other ones. Uh huh. Sometimes people's opinions are like that. They'll promote the good that is in your life, but they'll diminish any negative because we don't want to do that. You better get you a faithful mirror that is unbiased and accurate. Uh-huh. That doesn't distort the real image of our lives. Last night, uh, you know, modern day, you don't have to go to the circus to get crazy mirrors. I just opened up the little photo booth and took some pictures last night of myself. So, you know, of what, what these mirrors might portray for you in your life. Sister McGee, can you help me out any? Can you throw up just a few of those last night? Some of these pictures, uh, looking at certain mirrors of photo booth portrayed me in certain ways. That's my angelic, that's my angelic photo. <laughs> I'm not sure what that even is. <laughs> that's me on Monday. As a kid, and you get other people's opinions. Other people's opinions become your mirror. When I was a young child, Mike Penrod's mother, I don't know why I had more hair then and all that, she always called me Randy. Remember that? She called me Randy for Randy Travis. Through her estimation. That's a young Randy Travis. I'm glad I'm not, you know, got all the wrinkles that he has now. But. <laughs> 
And then most people across America, anywhere I went, thought that this was me. If I listened to them, this was the mirror. And so, I dare to say that some, I could probably do all four of those for you. <laughs> some of our identity problems, self-image problems, stem from accepting the mirrors that others have provided for us. Namely, their opinion of us. Uh-huh. And I know sometimes we desire and we want to know what people close to us, you know, what's your opinion? What do you got to say? But here's the fact of the matter. Even if it's your spouse, none of them can accurately show what the word shows. For you concerning you. Now, they can get pretty close sometimes. <laughs> but they, it's not accurate until you have the word. The Bible says, Proverbs 29 and verse number 25, the fear or the reverence. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear or reverence of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. My daughter, my daughter's at that age where uh, some of those cheesy Disney movies that Disney produces interest her. God help us in this stage. But nevertheless, they catch her attention of interest and so. As a result of it, I have seen bits and pieces as much as I could stomach. And I remember one in particular where a girl was being considered, I think it was, and I might not get all these details right, but the gist of it will be there, uh, like for homecoming queen or something. And uh, in doing so, she was po polling her classmates on a website that she had designed uh, about every aspect of her, like her outfit. You know, the way her hair was going to be done, what clothes she was going to wear, the shoes that she was going to have. And she was putting all these, these little surveys out there and the people in her, the class was going to answer those. And whatever the majority chose, that's what she wore, that's how she fixed her hair, that's how she did this, that's how she did that. And so her choice was based upon then the opinions of the majority. And somewhere, remember, somewhere along the way she realized the only true choice she had made was to listen to the majority. And when it came time to make her own choice, it was a little difficult because she had lived her life by the majority rules philosophy of what everybody else thought concerning her. I said that to say this. There is really only one, one majority that should rule in our lives, and that is the estimation of God and his word. Amen. The Bible tells us, and you can look this up later and read it in Leviticus 27. In the book of Leviticus, when a person had made, had made a vow unto the Lord, their personal worth, their personal worth was determined by some preset estimations that were according to age. Uh, a person that was male or female through this particular age group was estimated at this much concerning their vow. And it all changed concerning their age and concerning if they were a male or a female. They were preset estimations. But if a person did not fit in that mode of those precept models of estimations, the Bible says they would appear before the priest and the priest would value them. The priest would value them. And basically whatever the priest valued them at is the value that they were. 
No questions asked. Not up for discussion or controversy or the opinion of what their family thought or anybody else thought. Whatever the priest valued them at, that's what their value was. It's no different today. We have all the different voices. You have the voice in the, in, the, in the crowd there in the cave for David, and he had his family, and you have all these different voices in your life. You have your parents. You have friends that are in the world. You have your friends that are in the church. You have your husband. You have your kids. You have the voices in your head. <laughs> you have all these different voices, but whenever it comes down to it, it's whatever the priest values you as, that is really the value that you are. Whether someone estimates that higher or whether someone estimates that lower, that doesn't even come on the table. What the priest values you at is the value that you are. So those with David, those men were looking for a shortcut at David's expense. Listen, do you realize that David may have missed his destiny of being the next king if he chose to take Saul's life and in the process of doing so, stepped outside of his behaving wisely and being a man of character and integrity. Because the fact of the matter is, sometimes shortcuts are the long way around. In Exodus 13, you can turn there with me this morning. Just a case in point, Exodus 13, verse number 17. The Bible states these words. This, the children of Israel is in the process of leaving Egypt, and they're about ready to start on their journey now. The Bible says in verse 17, and it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God, everybody say God, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that it was near. You hear that? You know, God chose not to take them the route that was closest or near. For God said, lest preadventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up, harnessed out of the land of Egypt. So God chose, in essence, God chose to take the Israelites the long way around. He chose to take them the long way around after they were freed from Pharaoh in Egypt because he already knew that if I take them the route that is near, if I take the shortcut, that may do more harm to them than good. If I take them the short way, it may just bolster and fortify their, their, their purpose of why they even left, left, amen, Egypt. They might want to go back to Egypt if I take them the short way. It may cause them to want to go back, to want to return, and they're trying to get away. Now, it sounds crazy, don't it? It sounds crazy. Amen. But, you know, there's things like this that sometimes occur when our integrity, our character is compromised. And that is this, that you will do the things that make no sense. Here's a shortcut. You know what? Let's go back to Egypt. We just got delivered from there. We've been there for 430 years. Let's go back. Yay. That, that don't make sense. But whenever you step outside of character and integrity, the product of that will be doing things that do not make any sense. 
Now, someone's going to say, well, Brother McGee, he said that they might, you know, they, they, the, the Bible says, the reason he did this, he said, pre-adventure, the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. said, well, Brother McGee, they went the long way around. God took them the long way around and they still talked about returning to Egypt the long way around. You are absolutely right. But it seems like in the scripture that God seemed to believe that if he took them the short route, they wouldn't just talk about returning. They would return. He said, pre-adventure, they return. He wasn't talking about them just talking about it or having conversation, discussion. He said, I, I foresee if I take them the short way, they will return. So I'm going to take them the long way. Are they still going to talk about it? Yes, but the end result is they're still going to make it to the promised land. Someone once said, shortcuts make long delays. <laughs> so David, if we come back to David, David, if God can trust you to do the right thing when Saul is on the throne, he can probably trust you to do the right thing when you are on the throne. And so the real question is, David, is this, can God trust you in the cave moments of your life. Because think about it, folks. It was probably harder for David not to kill Saul than it was for him to kill Goliath. Because killing Goliath, when David went to the Valley of Elah and he killed Goliath, that was just an act of power. That was an act of his skill with, 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 with his shepherd's bag and his stones and his sling. But not killing Saul, that was an act of will power. And really, willpower is the greatest power. It's not about what you can do, but it's about those moments that you Restrain from doing what you could have done. Now that's real power. That showcases integrity. That showcases character. In the New Testament scripture, the New Testament makes a distinction between two different types of power. We have talked about these before. One is called the dunamis. It's in, in the New Testament Greek, dunamis. It's from where we get the word dynamite. It's the ability to do things beyond your natural ability, the dunamis power. Then there's the exousia power. Amen. The other Greek word, it is the ability to not do things you have the ability to do. So one is the power to do, and the other one is the power to restrain from doing what you could have done. And the cross is a very good example of the second kind of power of restraining from doing what you could have done. Because again, as we all times say, no one took Christ's life. He volunteered his life. The Bible says in John 10 and verse 18, it states these words. No man taketh it from me, he says, but I lay it down of myself. I have power. That's the exousia. I have some restraining power to lay it down, and I have power, exousia, to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. So when we think about Calvin, we think, you know, you know, Paul says, if I preach anything, I preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. We preach the cross. That's part of the gospel. That's part of, in part the reason why we are where we are today, are able to experience the change that we have today. But when we consider it, our lives are not changed. And our lives are not different because of what Christ could do. But rather what he could do and he didn't. 
That's what produced the change that you and I have. He chose not to do something. And because of the thing that he chose not to do, huh? he could have came down from the cross. But because he, exousia, he chose not to do that. That's really what offered me the change that I needed in my life. Character and integrity test us in our life, and they come different ways. Most of the times that in your integrity or your character is tested in your life is this. It will normally happen in private rather than public. Mm-hmm. It will normally happen on a personal level than rather being a collective type level. And in many cases, not always, but in many cases, our integrity and our, our, our character is tested. It tests us in the fact that it's going to see what we will not do that we could have done. More so than rather what we can do. Saul, his biggest failure took place when he made his throne his idol. Remember, he acted very wrongly when he thought the people were scattering from him. And so he did the sacrifices himself because he didn't want to lose reputation. The people were scattering. Oh, I got a reputation to protect. Right. And so whenever he made his his throne, his idol, that was his biggest failure. Amen. The fact of the matter is this. David could have made the very same mistake. He could have feared the loss of uh, of the support and, and the voices of his military men that he had. And that maybe they wouldn't follow me anymore as a good leader. And so I'm just going to have to kill Saul in order to protect all that. The reputation that they think of me of being the warrior. He could have made the exact same mistake, but he didn't. And here's something important to consider. Even if David was the only one in the cave outside of Saul. Even if he was. He wasn't. But even if he had been the only one in the cave outside of Saul. Here's the thing he still would have been entertaining other voices. Because what do we all have a tendency to do? We think about the moments even when we're all alone. No one's there talking, but yet they are. No one's there to say anything, but we start, well, I wonder what so-and-so would do in this situation, or such-and-such, or what will they think if I do? Do you ever do that? Am I the only one? Voices in my head that are talking to me. Nobody's around, but there's voices in my head. I'm wondering, you know, how to handle, you know, uh, as, a, as a young man growing up, I wonder how dad would handle this. You know? you know what I'm saying? You have all these different voices that are coming to your mind, so you still have these voices coming in. You know, it's an old thing that they used to do. They used to have bracelets and everything else that they sold, but maybe we need to get back to the old WWJD. What would Jesus do about it? Maybe that voice needs to be uttered in our mind. If David had killed Saul to assume the throne, then at that moment in time, the throne would have become an idol to David's life because that was, would be utmost important. But David had the willingness to give up the throne as he could see it. They're saying this is the moment. It's all come down to this. This is just exactly the way God ordered it. David then was willing to give up the throne. And you know what that proved to God? David is ready to sit on the throne because he's willing to give it up. 
to safeguard what? Character and integrity. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 24, which is where we springboarded from, 1 Samuel 24 and verse number 6. David is setting the record straight. Because he spoke, the Bible says, and he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. He's setting the record straight. He says, guys, the very thing that you are encouraging me to do, God forbids. That puts things in perspective, don't it? I mean, that, I, I don't know about you, though, that makes things pretty well crystal clear. That if voices are telling me something that absolutely God forbids, say no more. But voices are so strong sometimes, and we got reputations to uphold that will go contrary to what God has already stated in his word. Not only did David's inaction prove his character to God, look at it, though. He also, his inaction proves his character to Saul, the one that someday he will supersede. Look at verse number 20 of 1 Samuel 24. It's proven himself to Saul. He finally, after all this has happened and Saul is finished and went out of the cave, David finally comes out of the cave too. He hollers to Saul and he says, I know people are saying that I mean you hurt and everything, but just letting you know, you were just in the cave and I was in there too. And here's just a little piece of your garment. I had opportunity to slay you, but I didn't. And so he's relaying all of this to Saul. And in verse 20, look, look what Saul says here. And he says, and now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king. This is Saul speaking to David. He's saying, David, I know now that you are surely going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thy hand. I know that. How do you know this, Saul? I mean, what is it that has solidified for you that David is going to be king? He says, now I know. I mean, without any doubts, you're going to be king. The kingdom is going to be yours. Why? Here's why. Because of David's integrity. Because of David's character. Because of his ability to restrain from doing when he had everything set up for the ability to do something about his adversary. If you'll stand with me this morning. The matter is this. The matter is this. We really don't, we really don't have to prove ourselves to other people as much as we need to prove ourselves to God. Because the opinions of people, they're going to change anyway. Because in one in one aspect and circumstance of your life, when they would say do this, if it comes up again, it, they might say do differently. It's, it's going to be just as different as, you know, the different sides of a Rubik's Cube. I mean, it's going to be different. But whenever you consider God, he is that, he is that staple, consistent. Because had David found himself in another cave, you know what? God's still going to forbid then what he had forbade before. And so you're not really in a place here in this Christian life of proving yourself to other people, but mostly let your desire be, I want to prove myself to God. I want to behave, I want to behave wisely in so much that the Lord is with me because God likes hanging around people of character and people of integrity and he will promote them. Yeah, and he will exalt them. They don't have to exalt themselves. 
The scripture even tells us, you know, that if we exalt ourselves, he'll make us abased. But if we, we walk that road of humility, the Bible says he'll exalt us. Why? Because of character and integrity, amen, that we can have in our lives. So sometimes it's a hard, it's a school of hard knocks to learn. To be true to character and integrity. But folks, let me tell you, in an hour when we are anemic concerning that, please stand up as Christians and showcase it. Don't cut the quarters. Dave says, I don't, I don't want that, that good meat to be, you know, hidden underneath the round. But don't cut the quarters. Let it stand out. The quality, amen, of being men and women of God that behave themselves wisely before, amen, the Lord. If we can just bow our heads in this place this morning. I want to pray a prayer over us today before we come to a close. Father, I come to you today. I'm asking, oh God, for your aid and your help. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.